In the epistle, St. Paul says, you have received the spirit of adoption. And in the gospel, St. Luke says, give an account of thy stewardship. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. More than 800 years before Christ, there was a striking event that took place in Palestine. The entire Jewish nation was assembled on top of Mount Carmel. And within this circle of the thousands of Israelites, there were 850 pagan priests screaming fiendishly about an altar upon which they were offering a false sacrifice. They had begun it early in the morning. They began dancing according to their pagan rituals and slashing themselves with small lances. And by noontime, they had worked themselves into such a frenzy that they were totally exhausted, covered from head to toe in their own blood. Now in this crowd of Jews is their king, Akab. His face, they say, is contracted with worry and with great pain. But off to the side, all alone, is an old man. He looks very much unlike the others. In fact, they say he is, he is all smiles and he is jesting, if you can imagine that, jesting with the pagan priests and taunting them as they do their sacrifices. That man is the prophet Elias. Now, behind this scene is a very intense drama. The history of it is this, that three and a half years before that scene took place, the Jewish nation fell once more into idolatry, worshiping false gods. And Elias, finding out about it, he lived all alone on the top of Mount Carmel. He walked down into the streets of the royal city and right up to the palace. And he prophesied to the king that if the Jewish nation did not turn back to the one true God, it would be divinely punished. Of course, the king wouldn't listen, and it did not rain for the next three and a half years. But now, the king, he calls the whole nation to gather upon Mount Carmel at the request of Elias, who said, gather unto me all Israel upon Mount Carmel, and with them the pagan prophets who eat at the queen's table. 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the groves. When, when all of them were gathered <clears throat> together, Elias said to the Israelites, and I'm only paraphrasing him, how long will you all just sit on the fence? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Does that sound familiar at all? Sixty years after Vatican II, how many people are just sitting on the fence? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But no one on that mountain said a word. Nobody even moved. And so Elias, he proposed a contest. It's an interesting one. The pagan priests were to set up an altar 
and to offer up their sacrifice upon it, while he himself would build another altar and offer the true sacrifice to the true God. And then they they would each pray to God to consume their holocaust by a miraculous fire that came down from heaven. And the God who sent down that consuming fire would be acknowledged publicly by the, the whole nation as the true God. The pagans had been trying that for hours now, and it says that their holocaust only dried up in the sun, but a miraculous fire consumed the holocaust of Elias, and the Jews all at the same time fell to their knees, making their public profession of faith, the Lord is God. Elias then turns over to the king and quietly says, and now it will rain. There is no reason for you to be punished any longer. And then he kindly tells the king, you go, you go and get yourself something to eat. And Elias, he went over to a place on the side of the mountain and sits down. There's a servant with him, and he tells the servant to go out near the sea. Mount Carmel is surrounded by the Mediterranean Sea. He tells the servant, go out and look out over the sea. Six times he returns to Elias and tells him there's nothing there. But on the seventh, he comes back to Elias to report that he, he has seen a small cloud. Maybe it is going to rain. He has seen a small cloud in the shape of a human foot. Now the church fathers explain that this little cloud in the shape of a human foot, rising pure out of its bitter sea and leaving all impurities behind, is actually a figure of Our Lady who will rise out of the sea of humankind free of the impurity of original sin. Now, let's fast forward about 2,000 years. The disciples of Elias are living on Mount Carmel, and St. Louis the King hears about them. They're called the Hermits of St. Mary of Mount Carmel, and he, he comes all the way from France to Palestine and climbs Mount Carmel to ask if some of them would please come back to France. They are badly needed. And these hermits, they gave St. Louis the full story that all the way from the time of Elias to the time of Our Lady's birth, those hermits would handed down that revelation of the cloud and how there was a promise of Our Lady coming as well. And all the while, for generation upon generation, those hermits prayed for the coming of the Immaculate Virgin that was foretold. And not terribly far from the mountain is where Our Lady was actually born, in Nazareth. And they say, too, that on their return from Egypt, the Holy Family stopped by Mount Carmel and visited the Holy Hermits and rested a while with them. And there was built the very first chapel that was ever dedicated to Our Lady. So there's the history of the oldest religious order of the Church, the Carmelite order. Now, the Carmelites were 
They were persecuted very much in Palestine, and because of that, they had to move west into Europe. They went into France and then to England, and there was St. Simon Stock. He was the vicar general in England. While he ruled over the order, there were dissensions from within, there were persecutions from without, and all was caused by the devil, he said. Nothing was left to do but pray. Even the hermits, the brothers, they couldn't get along. The, the older ones wanted to keep the same coarse habit that Elias had worn, while the younger ones wanted a different habit, something more in keeping with the times. And so St. Simon knelt in his little cell, and he prayed that the prayer called the unfailing prayer to Our Lady, Queen Carmel, that you said last Sunday on the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Flower of Carmel, vine blossom laden, splendor of heaven, child-bearing maiden, none equals thee. O Mother benign, who no man didst know, on all Carmel's children thy favors bestow, star of the sea. As soon as he finished the prayer, he sees the room, it's filled with great light, and he lifts up his eyes and sees Our Lady surrounded by many angels. And he comes to him with the brown scapular and says, this is to be your new habit. Receive this habit of thy order. Whosoever dies clothed in it shall never suffer eternal fire. Now, what is the meaning of that promise? It is this. Well, first of all, it does not mean that those who die in the state of mortal sin will be saved. We mustn't treat this as the scapular as something that makes us presume upon God's mercy. No. Whoever dies in this habit shall not die in mortal sin. That is, if we, while we're living, we wear it <clears throat> piously, then we will attain that promise. St. Robert Bellarmine, he said that anyone dying in Mary's family will receive from her at the hour of death either one of two things, either the grace of final perseverance or that of final contrition. And so those who die wearing the scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. The whole meaning of the scapular promise comes from the fact that the wearing of the brown scapular is a true devotion to Our Lady. And true devotion to Mary, any true devotion, always has at least these three qualities. The first is homage. We, we show her that homage whenever we put the brown scapular on. And confidence is the second quality. Well, we wear it because we trust unswervingly in Our Lady's promise to save us from the fires of hell. And love. We offer that to her every day of our life. But in those three qualities, we must persevere every day of our life. Now, it is said that one day Our Lady will save the world through the scapular and the rosary. If you look around now, 
I think you'd agree with me that now is that time. With the Novus Ordo having taken the Mass and the true sacraments from so many souls all over the world, Our Lady will come and fetch them. But what I've said today is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the power which Our Lady has given to this Carmelite habit that you wear. Promises of salvation, even promises which, which extend into purgatory in the next life. So I was thinking that I would give a, just a short one, a short series of sermons on the power of the brown scapular and how to use it. I think many people don't exactly know all about this beautiful sacramental. But I'll end with an anecdote for today. It's taken from a book on the scapular. Those who do appreciate the power of Mary in the scapular against Satan have often, through the mere devout kissing of the scapular, been able to cause the most violent temptations to melt away. They know that due to their devout wearing of the scapular with its presence of Mary, because remember, when you wear the scapular, it is a sign, it is just like having Mary with you, because it's a sign that you are thinking of her, and she in turn is always watching over you. But they know that due to their devout wearing of the scapular with its presence of Mary, Satan dare not come near them. And then it continues, we discover traces of fright in the words uttered by Pope Leo the 11th as the scapular was being accidentally removed from his shoulders at the papal investiture. He might have laid hold of his scapular and he said, no, no, leave me Mary, lest Mary leave me. What a beautiful thought. But you and I, we're adopted sons, adopted into the Carmelite family through this scapular. And when it is time for you to talk about your stewardship at the end of life, well, if you're found wearing the scapular, Our Lady will show you to heaven. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.